Well, good morning, Living Hope Church, and we are so glad that you guys could be with us again this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to jump back into our study of this epistle, and in a couple of minutes, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And as you do that, guys, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are again thankful for this time that you have given us, that we as the body of Christ can open your word, that we can hear your voice. And while we sit in our homes with each other, I pray that your spirit would be powerful, that it would be manifest, that your grace would be given to your church today as we spend time in worship and in your word, adoring you and lifting you up. God, we pray all these things in your magnificent name. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll begin reading in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 here in just a minute. But this passage of scripture that we're going to read is actually going to begin to open our eyes to what God wants for his church. So far in the book of Ephesians, Paul has said some really powerful things about the church and what it is and why it is so important for us. And here in this passage, Paul begins to talk about why it's important to God and what he's going to do with the church and what he intends to accomplish through the church. A few verses earlier in chapter 4, verse 7, he actually says that God gives his grace to the church uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. He gives gifts to everybody. And so now in this passage, Paul is actually going to list several of those gifts, what God gives and the purposes that God has for those things that he gives the church. So a couple of the thoughts that are going to help guide what we talk about this morning in this passage of Scripture. And the first is this. All that God gives the church is a gift. All that God gives the church is a gift. So everything about the church of Jesus Christ is a result of what God gives it, of what God wants for it. Now part of what this means is that in the end, the church does not rely on us. It doesn't rely on our talents and what we're able to accomplish for the church or our successes, our failures. Now, God in his providence is going to use those things for his purposes. But in the end, all of it is about the gifts that God gives the church. So everything God gives the church is a gift. And then secondly, this, God has plans for this church, the things that he wants done with it. God loves the church, God cares for the church, and so he equips it to get his job done. So part of what this means is that you and I, all of us, the family of God, we're part of God's eternal scheme for the church, part of his big idea for history and what he's accomplishing. Now, this is true when we sit next to each other in a room like this, and we sing, and we read God's word, and we hear God's word, and we fellowship with one another. And it's true when we're together in our homes or when we are at work. It's true in all of these contexts that God has specifically gifted every one of us to be a part of his plan through the church of Jesus Christ. So let's begin reading in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to start here in verse 11. And I'm going to read through verse 16, and there's a lot going on here, 
Uh, but we're going to focus in on uh, the first couple of thoughts this morning. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and it goes like this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I read this whole passage because I want us to have this entire context so that we get a feel for the bigger picture. All of these things that God is trying to accomplish through the church and what he gives us so that these things can be done as each of us play our part. So this is what God is doing through his church. And for this morning, I want to begin by thinking about these words specifically. And he gave. The more I spent time thinking about this, the more important that thought was to me. It is critical that God gives gifts. Just the fact that he is the one who gives these gifts for his purposes is absolutely critical to our understanding for the church and what we do and why we exist. Now, so far in chapter 4, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter and just kind of read from the beginning to pick up what Paul is thinking, so far in this chapter, Paul has told us that he wants us to live a life that reflects the character and nature of Jesus Christ, live up to the kinds of things that we've been given in Christ. And then he tells us that God has put us all together in one body. And he repeats this word one over and over again. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. He's created this unity of the church that we all belong to. And then he talks about the victorious Christ, who's not just victorious over a few things for a short period of time, but the victor, the king of kings over all things. And it's in the context of that kind of power and that kind of victory, that then Paul says, it is this God, it is this Christ who gives gifts to his church. So think about that for a second. The things that God gives you and I to accomplish his task come from this source of power that is different than anything else. It truly is the final divine source of power, and it is that that God uses to give us gifts for the purposes of his church. Now, thinking in those terms, I've got um, two ideas I want to expound on. Um, just thinking about this idea that it's this God who gives us gifts. And the first thought is this. God loves the church, and he creates an environment for it to succeed. God loves the church, and because he loves the church... He builds this environment in which we are intended to succeed for the purposes of God. So God has poured himself into the church. 
Jesus Christ uh, lives and dies and rises again for our salvation and becomes the head of the body, the church. And so this is something that God has literally invested in in some pretty powerful and almost inconceivable ways. And because God loves his church like this and cares for his church like this, God equips it. God equips us with the gifts that he wants us to have to accomplish his purposes. A few of the other things that Paul has said already about the church help kind of fill this thought out for us. If you turn a page back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, Paul says this, And he put all things under his feet, meaning the feet of Jesus Christ. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, part of this scheme of God's is to create this body that belongs to Jesus Christ and is filled with his power and is filled with his gifts. A little bit later on in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about, he says, I've been made the steward of the mystery of the gospel. That's the theme of our series in the book of Ephesians, the mystery of the gospel. And in chapter 3, he just says, here's what the mystery is. Is that Gentiles and Jews, all of us, have been made part of one body in Jesus Christ. And as he expands on that thought, we get to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, and Paul says this, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I'm stunned by this verse every time I read it. God is doing something cosmic through the life of the church. The faithful church of Jesus Christ, as we follow him, as broken and as imperfect as we are, God is not relying upon our imperfect talents and abilities. He's actually infused the church with his gifts to accomplish his purposes that really are beyond our understanding. What does it mean that he's making his wisdom known, his manifold wisdom known, even to the cosmic powers in the universe? Well, God knows, and God is using us today to reveal that. That's pretty powerful. So God loves the church. He's invested in the church. So he's creating this environment where if we live in it faithfully and we live in it well, it's an environment where we flourish. It's an environment where we thrive as the people of God. And then the second thought with this that strikes me is this thought that we began with, that all God gives the church is a gift. Everything that he gives the church is a gift to us. Now think about this for a moment and and what this means for us. Salvation is a gift from God. Paul's made that clear to us in Ephesians chapter 2. The act of transformation, the changing of this life into one that looks more and more like the life of Jesus Christ. The building of the fruit of the Spirit inside of me. This is a gift that God gives us, makes available to us if we would seek it and find it and live in it. The Word of God itself is a gift from God to us. The presence of the Spirit with us is this necessary, empowering gift that God gives the church and individual Christians. The act of worship is a gift. The spiritual family that God gives us is a gift. Unity is a gift. We've talked about this in Ephesians. It's a gift that God gives, and it's beautiful when brothers and sisters in Christ can actually dwell together in unity. 
the mission that God gives the church to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples of every nation, to encourage and build up the body. All of these things are gifts that God gives the church. Now, I land on this because I think it's an important perspective shift for us in a lot of ways. We need to learn how to see the church through this lens, that all of this is a matter of what God has decided to do, uh, what he has decided to do with the church, what he's decided to give the church. Now, part of the reason that is important is it because it counters a vision of the church that relies on people, that relies on strategies, that relies on programs, and, and on and on. We could continue down that list. Now, it's very easy for us when we think about what the church does um, it's very easy for us to fill in that concept with exactly those kinds of things. Well, there are individuals in the church who do this, this, and this. We may even think of um, what we sometimes call the, the Christian celebrity uh, pastor or leader. Well, they do this, and isn't that phenomenal that they do that? Or there's a particular strategy that this group has, and it's very successful over here. Or the group of programs that we use to minister to different people or to reach out to our communities. When we think about what the church is and does, we tend to go there first. Now, don't get me wrong. God will make use of all of those things to fulfill the mission of the church. But those things are not where our power comes from. Those things are not what God is relying upon to get his job done. Our power comes from the gifts that God gives his church and his faithful people living in those things and using those things the way God intended us to use them. So God will give his children, his church, all of us, every one of us, the gifts that we all need to accomplish God's vision for the church. Another passage in Ephesians where Paul's talked about this kind of thing, this kind of design, this divine design for the church of Jesus Christ is right at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. So in Ephesians 2, Verses 19 through 22, Paul says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. This notion of unity where the world outside of the church has divided us, the church is uniting us. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Again, stunning language that what God is doing inside of the church is he's building a temple that he lives in, that the Spirit of God lives in, works in, gives gifts in. And he says, all of you have been made a part of this and we're unified by the body of Jesus Christ with him at the actual cornerstone. And he mentions something in that passage. It went by fairly quickly, but becomes important to our passage in chapter 4, that God uses certain people to help build the church. He mentions apostles and prophets specifically. And here now in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, this gets fleshed out a little bit more for us. So let's go back to Ephesians 4, verse 11. Let's read through the rest of this verse, and it goes like this. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work uh, of ministry, for building up the body 
of Christ. Now, this isn't the only list of specific roles of ministry inside of the church, but it is an interesting list of gifts that Paul gives us. And it gives us an opportunity to sort of tease these things out a little bit, understand what Paul means, understand the kinds of roles that these uh, gifts play in, in God's design for the church and then what they do for the church itself. So let's think through some of these um, roles specifically. Paul mentions, first of all, apostles. Now, in the New Testament, what this means is it, it refers to a group of people who have a direct connection to Jesus Christ and who God uses to establish the first wave of churches in places where there have been no churches. So they have direct connection to Christ, and they spend their lives in taking the church to brand new places. This in the New Testament is the role of the apostle. And it's this unique role that God gives a group of people to lay the foundation of the church. Again, not in the sense of this is where the power of the church comes from, but in the sense that this is where the literal local church is being built because of the work of these apostles. And as we read through the New Testament and early church history, this is the Mediterranean region. This reaches into Europe. This is North Africa. And even by the end of that first generation of apostles, even all the way into what we know as modern-day India. So these apostles have taken the church to brand new places, and the church gets built because of what they do. So Paul calls them part of the foundation of the church because they're taking the gospel to places where it's just never been before. He mentions apostles. And then he mentions prophets as well. Now, <clears throat> prophets in the New Testament, we understand in a couple of ways. We understand New Testament prophets as those who have this gift from God and from time to time can actually warn of what will happen, what's coming. We actually see that occur um, in the book of Acts uh, inside of the New Testament. But even more than that, the role of prophet inside of the New Testament is designed to specifically speak unique and relevant words of God to the church so that we hear something from the prophet that they see that we don't yet see. So God uses these prophets to speak to the church in a unique kind of fashion. These aren't Old Testament prophets in the sense that God is still writing scripture or giving us canon, that sort of thing. But what God is doing is he's revealing to the church the things that we need to see. And we can still use that kind of phrasing in the church today that God has this prophetic voice at work inside of his church where he's giving us a sense of the next step, where God may even be giving us a sense of where we're going wrong and where we need to go right, where we see something through the word of God, through a prophet, that maybe we don't naturally see. So this role is still active inside of the church today, if even in kind of a unique way from the Old Testament prophet. The next person Paul lists is the evangelist. Now the role of the evangelist will overlap with the apostle uh, in a lot of ways, but the, the title of um, this role is the job description of this role. That term, that word evangelist, just comes from the language of good news or gospel in the New Testament. So this is someone who is actually uniquely gifted and uniquely motivated to tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Now, I believe Scripture teaches us that all of us will sometimes play this role. We're intended to bear witness to Jesus Christ as often as God gives us opportunity to do these kinds of things. But it also turns out that there are some who are just uniquely gifted this way. And God opens doors for them, and God leads them into conversations that really are just divine moments because the role of evangelist is critical to the spread and the reach and the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. So God gives that gift to the church so the church grows and develops and matures. The last two that Paul mentions are shepherds and teachers. Now my text calls them shepherds. Some of your texts might actually use the word pastor. It's the same thought. It's essentially the same idea, the word inside of the New Testament. Now, when we speak of shepherds in the New Testament, this is actually a pretty familiar biblical role for God's leaders. It's a familiar term for God's leaders inside of Scripture. In the Old Testament, God will speak of his shepherds of his people and what he intends for them to do and be and when he's disappointed with them. And then Christ comes along and he calls himself the good shepherd. So he is the good shepherd. And then as the New Testament unfolds, there are these local shepherds or these local pastors who then with, um, with the guidance of Christ act as spiritual leaders for the church. So the role of shepherd Shepherds are leaders of God's people who are tasked with their spiritual well-being. The role of shepherd is a role of leadership, but it's not how we would think of management in a business context or a corporate context. There may be some overlap there, but the role of shepherd is spiritual leadership. And the spiritual shepherd is tasked with that kind of well-being of the people of God. And shepherd is really a provocative term. Not only does it imply that the congregation are sheep, which is always a fun thing to talk about, but the shepherd is someone who has at least one eye on the health and the safety of the people of God. This is, this is a lot of their attention. This is their time. This is their effort. How are the people of God doing? How do we protect them from the things that would do them harm? How do we lead them and guide them into the things of Christ? So the biblical shepherd always has at least one eye on the health and safety of the people of God. And then the biblical shepherd always has at least one eye on the good shepherd himself and following Jesus Christ and finding some way to connect those two things where we're leading ourselves and we're leading the body of Christ into the things of Christ as well as we can and as often as we possibly can. The Apostle Peter talks about the role of shepherd like this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. He's admonishing young leaders in the church and he says it like this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. It's really a powerful truth with the role of shepherd in the New Testament that not only is the shepherd intended to teach well and hold to sound doctrine, but there are these character requirements 
there are these requirements of Christ-likeness inside of the life of the shepherd. And we read that in 1 Peter chapter 5. Not like this, but like this. Not like this, but like this. I want you to shepherd the people of God. So this is a unique and powerful role that God gives his church for its health and its growth. And then the last one that Paul lists in this specific um, passage of Scripture is the role of teacher. Now again, when it comes to pastor and teacher, there's probably going to be a lot of overlap. Um, inside of those gifts and the way that they operate inside of the church. But when we think of teacher, we think specifically of the individual who is designed to keep the church of Jesus Christ away from false teaching. Um, Their job is to be as clear as possible about the word of God, uh, to correct individuals in the body when it goes wrong, to refute false teaching about Jesus Christ and make sure the true teaching about the gospel is as clear and as understandable as possible. Now, the Apostle Paul actually writes probably two more letters to the church of Ephesus, but he writes them to their pastor in his first and second Timothy. And when he speaks to Timothy, he actually talks a lot about the roles of shepherd and teacher. And he tells Timothy stuff like this. Now, don't be surprised when people slip away into false teaching because this is what people want to do. Um, They hear things that sort of scratch their itchy ears. They like to hear that. So you, I need you to be ready to preach the word of God in season and out of season as clearly as you can and refute false teaching. So the role of teacher is critical to the health of the body as well. We even hear this as we, read, as we read through the rest of that passage in Ephesians 4, that God gives these gifts to the church so that we're not blown around by every wind and wave of doctrine, but instead we're growing up into maturity, into the things of Christ, even into the love of Christ. So God gives these gifts to the church to accomplish his kinds of purposes, to create this environment for the health of the church, to create this environment so that the church can actually move forward in power and grace and wisdom as well. But we ask a question at this moment, and Paul will begin to answer this through the rest of this passage, and the question is this, why these roles? Why does God do this? And it's these roles, it's these gifts, and it's more than just these gifts, but why does God do this? If we, first of all, answer that question from kind of a larger cultural perspective, I I think there's something important for us to hear. The Roman world that the church was growing up in was a very confused and broken place uh, when it came to morality and when it comes to religion. It's very complicated. It's a very confusing place morally and religiously. In fact, it's a very dangerous place. Outside of the church or the the Jewish world and the rest of the Roman world and those religions and philosophies, it was actually a very dangerous place for people. It's not at all um, what you and I would assume with a civil society now. So as the church is being born and as people are being brought out of that world and into the church of Jesus Christ, it is absolutely critical that the church becomes a place of stability for people. It's a brand new way of living. It's a brand new way of seeing things and understanding reality itself. So the church becomes a place of stability. And the church gives a unique clarity of vision that the rest of the world lacks. Out there, outside of the walls of the church, 
There are all these competing visions of what life should look like, what God or gods should be worshipped. There's a competing set of visions about what the family looks like, the value of different human beings, and it's all over the place, and it's not good for most people. But inside of the church, there is something new. There's a unique kind of stability and integrity of vision and mission that God is giving individuals because of how he has built and shaped the church. And so the church becomes unified in its vision of who Jesus is and what it means to live in service to Jesus Christ, what the life of Christ means for us. Now, it isn't just that the church becomes unified in its vision of Jesus Christ. You can take any well-organized institution or organization, and you've got a group of people who've sort of unified around one particular vision or mission, and that's what they do. And the church is unified around the person of Jesus Christ. But we need to understand that it's more than just some other institution or organization. God has actually given the church access to what is true and good and right and powerful. God has given the church access to his powers in ways that no other institution has. So there's this clarity of vision. There is this clarity of the power of God that is at work inside of the church that is something that is new inside of their larger context. And it's something, guys, that can still be very powerful and effective inside of our context. We live in a cultural context that is very confused and complicated and broken when it comes to moral systems and religious systems. And so inside of the church, there's this clarity of mission and vision, and it's because of Jesus Christ. So guys, the church is intended to form us in the image of Christ through the power and the gifts of of God. The church is intended to form us and shape us. The church is formative. It's not performative. The church is not designed so that a group of individuals can collect a lot of power and celebrity and wealth and wield influence over others. That's not why the church is designed and put together. It's designed to form us, every single one of us in the image of Jesus Christ. It's designed to form us according to the gifts that God gives the church. It's designed to shape us into God's will and desire for what he wants us to accomplish as his family. So the church becomes this really uniquely powerful thing on earth when we are faithful to it, when we're faithful to Christ, when we walk following him as well as we can in the power of the Spirit. So Paul lists these gifts. He says that God gives all of them. And I want to finish with verse 12. And this thought is actually going to be um, expanded through the rest of the passage, but I want to make sure that we hear this. So chapter 4, verse 12 says, God gives all these gifts to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So now while all of these other roles that we've talked about, the uh, apostle and prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, while all of these roles do ministry in the body of Christ, it turns out that God's design for this is all hands on deck. God has not given gifts to the church in just a small handful of people. God has used these gifts to build the church, 
and to strengthen the church. But it turns out that God has given every one of his children gifts to do some pretty powerful things with the church of Jesus Christ. So these roles help build and help lead um, the church by the gift of God. But notice the language that Paul uses. I love this. The rest of the body performs ministry and builds the church. The rest of the body performs ministry and builds the church all by the gifts that God gives us. I hope that if we're coming to terms with at least one truth about the church of Jesus Christ during this pandemic, when we can't meet together like we normally do, when we can't have worship like we normally do, when we can't you know, show up and check in our kids and send them to the nursery and hear what they learned and watch them bring their crafts to us after church. If there's one thing that we're learning about the church during this pandemic, it is that God intends you to play an active role in the building of the body of Christ through the gifts that he has given you. Not just through the gifts that he's given a pastor or a set of staff members, or a set of individuals that you might consider to be uniquely gifted, but that God has actually gifted you, and he intends you right now to be a critical part of ministry and of the building of the body of Christ. Sometimes, I think, our weekend gatherings can become kind of a security blanket, and it can kind of cushion us from what God intends for us, uh, for, for me individually, for you individually, for our families. It can cushion us from what God has called us to do, how God has gifted us, what he wants us to do with those gifts. And maybe for a period of time, some of that security blanket, that cushion is taken away from us, and we stand before God to hear and learn what he's given each of us to do for the sake of the church. It's clear to us in Scripture that God does not intend church to be a spectator sport. It's easy for it to become that way sometimes, but God does not intend that for his church. Paul writes another letter to the church at Corinth, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he uses this image, and it's a, it's a pretty long image there in the middle of 1 Corinthians 12, and it's the image of the body, a physical body. And he says, now look, the body has all these different parts, and they do all these different things, but they're not separate things. They're all one part, of, they're all part of this one body. And so it is with all of us, that every one of us, uh, we play a different role. It looks a little bit different, but we're not separate, we're not doing our own thing. We're actually part of God's design for the entire church together. Here's part of how he puts it in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Very simply, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I like that. Every one of us is given the manifestation, not just of the talents or resources that you have, but a manifestation of the Spirit. These really are divine gifts. And he says here, for the common good. For the good of the body of Christ. For the good of the church's mission to the rest of the world. God has given you and me gifts to deploy in the church. So guys, God gives us all gifts to minister and to build up the body of Christ. So here's the question that lays before us now. What role do you and I play in making the church stronger today? What is the role that you play? What is the role that I play in trying to build up the body of Jesus Christ to perform ministry? 
Now again, when we are gathered together, the answers to the, those questions might be a little bit easier than they are right now because there are opportunities to ministry, minister to this group of kids or to this group of people or to engage in this certain kind of way. But when we don't have that, what if God has gifted us to build up the body of Christ when it comes to the family? I mean, our literal, actual family who's with us, maybe some days 24-7 inside of the same house all the time. Maybe this is part of what God has given us to build up the body and to perform ministry. What if it's our family? What if it's our marriage? What if it's the job scenario that might actually be uniquely strained right now? What if it's our literal physical neighborhood and God has somehow gifted you to be a part of building that up, to spreading the word of Jesus Christ? And guys, I really believe that when we find these God-given gifts and roles, when we find those now, we will only be stronger when we get together. We will only be even more effective when we get together. So guys, let me leave you with this thought. God has given you gifts so that you can be part of what he wants to do in and through his church. He's given you gifts, us gifts, so that every one of us can be part of this cosmic plan that he has given us. So here's my prayer for you this weekend, that God, we begin to open our hearts and minds to what these things are. And maybe he's already been stirring these things inside of us. When things are different and when things change, God can do things inside of our hearts that maybe we're a little bit um, cushioned against when things are just kind of normal and routine. May God take this time to begin to sort of crack these things open in our spirit and reveal to us what he's given us to do. And may we pray for the kind of insight to see those things and the kind of courage that it might actually take for us to begin to live in those things, to exercise those gifts, and to use them amongst each other, to minister to each other, and to build up the body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word, for all, Father, that you have done and how you have revealed these things to us so that we would be able to hear what it is that the Spirit says to his church this morning. This is a truly unique set of circumstances for us right now. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that in this uniqueness, in this change, in this difference, even in this difficulty, that it would be your Spirit that is at work in the hearts and minds of every follower of Jesus Christ, inside of every home, inside of every family, that we would begin to see what it is that you have called us to do, to find, Father, what it is that you are doing in the church of Jesus Christ and the role that we play in it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time, and may you do with it what only you can. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. <laughs>